October 5th, 2007 in Qatar. So reading from the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, I thought we'd go through a little bit some of the verses and then we could take an extended time for questions and discussion. Is that all right? That way we can discuss the things that are on your mind and perhaps I can be more helpful to you. So we're starting with 25. And in 25 and 26... Krishna is uh, basically telling Arjuna, don't bother to preach. In 25, he says, as the ignorant perform their duties with attachment to result, the learned may similarly act, but without attachment, for the sake of leading people on the right path. He's saying, yes, all right, everybody is acting in this world in illusion, so you act in a different way to set a proper example. Because Arjuna's thinking, if I actually am engaged in the culture of knowledge, of yoga, I should stop acting completely. This is a very common misconception. In fact, as we advance in Krishna consciousness, what happens is that we start to see that our motives for acting are not what we would like them to be. A materialistic person thinks that sometimes they make some mistakes, but their intentions are good. And as you progress in chanting Hare Krishna, you start to see that sometimes I do the right thing, but my intentions are all bad. <laughs> I am simply covered by lust, anger, envy, greed, and illusion. And also one starts to see the futility of anything in this world. In the scope of universal time, this life is only about eight billionths of a second. So what is the point of doing anything here? One starts to get this kind of transcendent vision. And seeing the ill motives of the conditioned soul and the futility of life, one may then come to the conclusion of not acting. So Krishna is saying here, no, you should act in a different consciousness. Not that you stop acting, but you act with a different set of desires. And that this is the best way to preach. My daughter-in-law's parents once asked Srila Prabhupada, what is the best way to preach? And preaching, of course, is a little difficult here, right? So we know to get the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we have to preach, but you're in a situation where preaching is a little difficult. So what Prabhupada said was, you invite someone to your home, you have them stay for three days, and you say, you live just how I'm living. Are we ready to preach like that? We're not sure. So this is the instruction that Krishna is giving to Arjuna also. You set a different kind of example. You set an example of someone who's working without material desires. And in the course of your work, somebody may say, well, why are you so happy in this job? 
What are you doing differently? You appear to be working just like me. You appear to be doing the same activity, but you're so bright and happy. But what are you doing? Please tell me about it. So text 26, he says, So as not to disrupt the minds of ignorant men attached to the fruit of results of prescribed duties, a learned person should not induce them to stop work. Rather, by working in the spirit of devotion, he should engage them in all sorts of activities for the gradual development of Krishna consciousness. So it is very violent, actually, to encourage people to stop their external duties. Sometimes neophyte devotees may encourage like that. If you really want to advance, just renounce everything externally. This is very dangerous. And Krishna warns here, and again at the very end of the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, not to just give up work. That is not the path of perfection. Many times we may think like that. Oh, this is the traditional Indian system. You give everything up. You just go to the forest and you meditate and you chant Om and you, you know, just eat the fruits and the berries. There's some place for that, certainly. But just doing that alone does not make one perfect. This is such an important point. Our perfection, our freedom from our distress does not come from stopping our actions. That seems logical, right? If my actions are useless in this world, if they bring me distress, why not just stop them? Uh, but no, Krishna is saying do them differently. Why not just stop them? Why don't we just stop actions? Anyone have any ideas why that doesn't work? Because we're always active, yes. The soul is always active. Some other reason why it doesn't work? Yes, same point, that we are always active. You cannot go a minute without doing anything. Those who stop external activities have to be very active within. They have to have a very developed internal spiritual life. What is another reason why we don't advise just to stop action? Hmm? You'll be involved in karma anyway, yes. Krishna says you'll end up being forced back into action and you'll be end up forced back into karma. This is such an important point. If we don't act in a religious way, we'll end up acting in an irreligious way, which will cause us more difficulty. So the question is then how to act. Now it's interesting that after Krishna telling Arjuna you must act, then he speaks this next verse in 27, a very often quoted verse. And one would think a verse that would induce us not to act. He says, Prakrite kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvatam Ahankara vimudatma kartaham itimanyate. Ahankara vimudatma. Ahankara means false ego. Vimudatma. Amuda is a fool. Kartaham. Karta means the doer. So a fool thinks I'm the doer. I'm doing things. We'll read Prabhupada's translation in purport. The spirit soul, bewildered by the influence of false ego, thinks himself the doer of activities that are in actual, actuality carried out by the three modes of material nature. Prakriti kriyamanani. 
Kriya, activity, prakriti, prakriti is doing. Nice. Purport. Two persons, one in Krishna consciousness and the other in material consciousness, working on the same level, may appear to be working on the same platform. But there is a wide gulf of difference in their respective positions. The person in material consciousness is convinced by false ego that he is the doer of everything. He does not know that the mechanism of the body is produced by material nature, which works under the supervision of Krishna, the Supreme Lord. The materialistic person has no knowledge that ultimately he's under the control of Krishna, yes. The person in false ego takes all credit for doing everything independently. That is a symptom of his nescience. He does not know that this gross and subtle body is the creation of material nature under the order of the Supreme. And as such, his bodily and mental activities should be engaged in the service of Krishna, in Krishna consciousness. The ignorant man forgets that the Supreme Personality of God it is known as Rishikesh, or the master of the senses of the material body. For due to his long misuse of the senses and sense gratification, he is factually bewildered by the false ego, which makes him forget his eternal relationship with Krishna. So, when we are foolish, we're thinking... I'm doing everything, right? Krishna explains this in detail in the 16th chapter. Ishwar hum humbogi siddham. I am the controller. And generally we think like this. When Krishna says this is the mentality of the demons, that doesn't mean just people with, you know, horns and tails or something like that. We may think, oh, I don't think this way. I'm a pious person. But we can examine to what extent do we actually think this way. We may be thinking, yes, by my intelligence, by my creativity, by my political connections, or by my piety. I'm such a good person, I'm such a pious person. By my hard work, I have accomplished all these things. I have removed all the impediments to my enjoyment. That's how the demoniac person thinks, the materialistic person thinks. And in the future, whatever problems are there, I will also counter them. I'll get rid of my business rivals, anyone who's causing me a disturbance, I'll neutralize them, and I will enjoy the world. But if we think for a minute, we can examine that really we're not what are you doing okay we want everyone to move forward okay let's do it one two three move forward people are waiting outside oh my no good please at least oh yes very nice the water's there yeah don't get a bath Okay, very good.
Now I really feel close to all of you. <laughs> now, now I feel comfortable, and now I really feel like I'm home with my family. <laughs> we've all, in just a couple days, we've all become very close, yes. So we may think like that, but if we examine carefully, then we will see that we're not the controller. Have we ever made a good plan that didn't work? Has that ever happened? You ever make a good plan that just didn't work? Always. Always. I hope not always. You make some plan, it just doesn't happen. Right? Or you make some plan, you get the opposite result. Does this ever happen? Yes. And sometimes you don't do anything and everything works out nicely. How does that happen? Sometimes you make all mistakes and the result is excellent. And sometimes you're doing you're following all the books. You've read all the books on relationships or management or whatever you're trying to do. You follow everything, the result is bad. Sometimes you follow nothing, the result is good. How does that happen? <coughs> Interesting, isn't it? Or sometimes you're just at the right place at the right time, you meet the right person. How did this happen? So we can see how we're not the controller. And so many things are happening that we don't like. If we were the controller, our lives would be a little different, wouldn't it? Anybody here, their life is just materially speaking perfect? Anyone look in the mirror and just, you know, say, whoa, that's just perfect. <laughs> I don't think so. My body, my family, everything. No problem is exactly what I want. I've never had anyone tell me that the answer to that question is yes. So obviously we're not the controller. There's someone else who's the controller. So an intelligent person starts to think, if I'm not controlling everything, who is? What is his plan? With a little intelligence, we can understand there must be a God, right? Little intelligence, we can see. And just like in this room, some simple thing, like a fan, it's not a very complicated thing, or even the ceiling design, we know it must be done by somebody with intelligence. Even like one of these little children, they couldn't have designed this, I don't think. What to speak of a, an animal, it's not possible. So this is not nearly as complicated as a flower. It must be designed by some person. So there's some intelligent person running things. Now, of course, generally in this world, we don't like the way he's running things. People, religious people, they often pray to God, and they say, listen, I'd like to tell you how to run things, please. I want you to do this for my family, and this for my education, and this for my... I'm going to tell God how to be God. And if he listens to me, then I'll be very nice, and I'll give him some incense or some flowers or some money. I'll pay him for his nice service. And if he doesn't listen to me, well, then I won't go to my church or temple anymore, and that will show him that he better listen to what I say. This is generally people's mentality with God, isn't it? They want God, as Prabhupada would say, their order supplier. Must have been a term in India at the time. Now we would say, like, you know, our internet catalog supplier. 
You place your order, right? And you get so people deal with God like that. That real fool thinks I'm the controller. Well, I don't need God, even though there's so much evidence to the contrary. A little bit more intelligent person sees there's some controller. All right, I better make him happy. And they think that they're going to control God with some external ritual. They think if I follow the rituals of my religion, whatever it may be, whether they're Muslim or Christian or Buddhist or Jewish or Hindu, they're thinking, if I just follow the rituals, then God will be obligated to do what I want. So this is an indirect way of trying to be the controller also, isn't it? Just like if I have some big friend in the government or some, you know, if I'm friends with Bill Gates, so I may try to control through that person. So people are trying to control control through God. But so still this mentality is there. This ignorant mentality of I'm going to run everything the way that I like. So then an even higher intelligent person thinks, you know, if God is so intelligent that he has created the planets and the flowers and the stars and so many things, then maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe his plan, maybe his means of control is better than mine. Now this is little higher intelligence. As still such a person is thinking, I want something for me. But they're thinking, if I want to get the best for me, maybe I should be cooperative with his plan. So these are the truly pious people. Now these people get to take birth again as the Davis. They are cooperative with the plan of the Lord. But still they're thinking, I want something for myself. I want the world to be, I want to enjoy in the world according to my plans. So then even a little higher than that is, all right, when I try to enjoy in the world according to my plans, am I really satisfied? So we're going to do a test here. You ready? We're going to do a little exercise here. You all ready? Okay. Very good. So I'd like you to think. That's okay. No problem. I'd like you to think of all the material things you ever wanted. Can you think of them? For me, that like fills a big stadium or something. All the material things you ever wanted. Now, all those things, what percentage of them did you not get at all? They just didn't get. Like you went to the shop and they were just out of stock. So somebody tell me what percentage did you not get? So what, what percentage of your desires did you just not get? I'm asking you. You don't know? 100%! Oh, that's terrible. I'm very sorry. Somebody else? 90%. Somebody else? 50? Anyone else? 99%. of what you wanted you never got? I will talk to your parents later. Anyone else? Some idea? 20%? 40%. 40%. Okay. Do you know your percents? Have you studied percent yet? Or are you just giving me some number? <laughs> All right. So now we'll eliminate those things. Now you take the things that you wanted and you got them. 
Okay, you wanted the things and you got them, but they didn't meet your expectations. You, know, you went to the shop, you bought the thing, you brought it home, and it just didn't do what you wanted it to do. Oh, I shouldn't have bought this thing. Things like that. You want them, you got them, and somehow they were a disappointment. So of all the things you wanted and you got, what percentage were disappointing? 5%? Someone else? 10%. 10%? Anybody else? 30? 50? 50? Okay. So now we're left with the things that we wanted, we got them, and they were perfect. Just perfect. You got some things like that? You wanted them, you got them, and they're perfect. 200%. 200? That's not possible. So, 0%. So, 0%? They were 100%. 100% of the things you wanted, you got, they were perfect. You have very good karma. So, one time, I had a vehicle like this. Okay. I had a vehicle like this. It was a Toyota van. And it had lots of room. We could put the seats down and they'd make a bed. It had screens in the windows for the mosquitoes. You don't have mosquitoes here, though, do you? You have no water, no mosquitoes. <laughs> Trading. And it got very good mileage for petrol. You could maneuver very well. I really liked that vehicle. It was just perfect. And one day, we were driving to the shop and some young man was late for work. He didn't stop at the stop sign, and he went right into my van. It's a true story. So of all the things that you wanted, you got them, and they were perfect. How many of them are temporary? So what percent of the things that we want, we get, that are perfect, do we get to keep? Zero, isn't it? Of the things, we, we want them, we get them, they're perfect, we get to keep them. How many? Zero. Zero, that's not material. Are you convinced or no? Remember this, sometime when you want to enjoy the world. What we want to enjoy that we can keep, it is what percent again? Zero. It is zero. So a more intelligent person says, even trying to enjoy the world with the cooperation of God, you end up with zero. You don't get to keep any of it. Which means we're always in a state of? Fear. We're always in a state of fear. That what we will get, we will lose. Just like if I give you a nice plate of food, right? But I'm standing behind. I'm standing by you, and I'm going to take the plate away any minute. Will you like the food? No. So you cannot enjoy like that. It's impossible. Can you enjoy and be afraid at the same time? No. Is that possible? Is it possible? What kind of enjoyment is that? You're eating this nice plate of food, and someone is standing behind you, about to grab it away any minute. You don't know whether they will grab it away right in the middle of your favorite prep or not. You're not sure. Am I going to get to finish it before they grab it away? 
So a more intelligent person says, I'm not going to try to control material nature at all. Because I can't. I try and my result is, what is it again? Zero. Zero. So I'm not going to try. Why try something that's zero? That's pretty foolish, isn't it? We're working so hard in this world for something that is zero. But we can't stop action. We were just saying we cannot stop action. You cannot stop desire. You cannot stop action. That's not the solution. You can try it, but it doesn't work very long. Try to make your mind blank and do nothing and feel nothing and desire nothing. So when I was in high school, one of my friends was very much in love with this one girl. He loved her very much. And then one day she said, I don't like you anymore. (laughs) Goodbye. And then he never talked to anybody for a long time. And we were waiting for the bus one day to go to school. And his name was Steve. I said, Steve, no, you never talk to anyone anymore. He said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with any people anymore. Now this girl told me she doesn't love me. And certainly not girls. I'll never talk to another girl. So when I moved in the temple, when I got married, I invited some of my old friends to come for the wedding. And I also invited him. And he comes with another girl. (laughs) so this is the problem if we just say yes material life is zero I'll give it up by our actions again we'll take it you cannot just stop and then we end up foolishly running after zeros so what is the solution here Prabhupada is saying that yes you act in the world but in a completely different consciousness Not thinking I'm the doer and I'm going to get something here. Not thinking that, oh, I'll be a religious person who tells God what to do. Not even thinking that I'll be a co-creator with God, I'll be cooperative with God, and then he'll give me a nice salary as a demigod. But to think, let me make God happy. This is explained, of course, in the fifth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Bhoktaram yagitapasam sarvaloka maheshram suridam sarvabhutanam gatramam shantimuchiti. That verse is very wonderful. Just if one can understand that verse, one's whole life can become perfect. And then instead of zeros, it's unlimited and expanding. So Krishna is the enjoyer, not me. Now, materially, if I say someone else is the enjoyer, not me, that means I'm being exploited. But with Krishna, it's not like that. Why is it not like that? Because Mamayvamso, Jiva Loke, Jiva Bhuta, Sanatana, I'm part of him. Right? To say that my stomach is the enjoyer, that doesn't leave out my nose. My nose doesn't shrivel up because I'm putting food in the stomach. And I put food in the stomach, my nose is automatically nourished, right? I don't have to put food in my nose. Do you have to put food in your nose? No. When we saw Srila Prabhupada in 1976, so just like you have your child on your lap, so my, my oldest child, he was just like that. He was just sitting like that. He was one and a half years old. 
And Prabhupada said, just like this mother is loving this child without any expectation of return, in that way one should love Krishna. And my father said, will loving her child help her to love Krishna? Prabhupada said, no. He said, but loving Krishna will help her to love her child. He said, just like if you put food in the stomach, you get good eyesight, but if you put it in your eyes, you become blind. I always get this picture of someone sticking carrots in their eyes. So if you feed the stomach naturally, every part of the body becomes nourished. When I make Krishna happy, then naturally I also become happy. I'm part of Krishna. And Krishna is full of love. Actually, we exist to enjoy with him. Not that he wants to enjoy at our expense. He wants to enjoy with us. So the intelligent person thinks, let me be, have Krishna be the enjoyer. Superficially, they're doing the same thing as anybody else. They're working their job, they're cleaning their house, they're driving their car. But their mood is, this is for Krishna, this is for God. This is for him to enjoy. One person asked Prabhupada, why is there creation? He said, Prabhupada said, for enjoyment, but not your enjoyment, for God's enjoyment. And just like some gentleman may build a house for his own enjoyment. Now, if he has servants, the servants also get to live in the house. And when the master goes out for the day, the servants take over the house and enjoy. <laughs> Actually, when one is Krishna's servant, one enjoys almost on the level of Krishna. But the mood is that Krishna is the enjoyer. Sarvaloka Maheshwaram, he's the controller. He's controlling everything. When we accept that and we surrender, we accept that, then we become happy. As soon as I try to make myself the enjoyer, I end up with zero. I try to make myself the controller, I end up just frustrated. And when I accept it's for Krishna's enjoyment and Krishna's control, you may say, well, how do I know that if I allow my consciousness to be there, that Krishna is the enjoyer, that Krishna is the controller. How do I know I'll be happy? Because he's also the best friend. He's also the best friend. He's our very, very best friend. How do we know that? This far as he's in our heart. Ordinary friends, they're friends up to a point, isn't it? We know with all of our friends, even our family, there are certain things if we do them that we'll be rejected. Isn't it? It's not absolute. Maybe our mother won't reject us, I don't know. But for just about anybody else, there's a line that if we cross that line, they'll say, you're rejected. But Krishna never rejects us. But even our mother, if we take another birth, our mother will not recognize us anymore. Who are you? She'll say, right? Oh, I was your child in another life, but who are you now? I don't know. Even sometimes the guru rejects a disciple. The disciple's a rascal. The guru is obligated, Bhaktivinoda Thakura says, to reject. Krishna never rejects. Never. 
Even if we become, you know, a spider or a scorpion or a snake, or, he never rejects us. What kind of a friend is that? And you can think of some friend you have, you try to give your friend good advice and they don't listen. How many times will you tell them? Two, maybe three, maybe four. After that, you'll give up, right? But Krishna never stops. He's always taking the opportunity to give us good advice. Come home, come home, come home, come home. Come, enjoy with me again. Come, enjoy with me again. Why are you just beating your head against the wall for zeros? Come home, play with me, dance with me, sing with me. And he never gives up. No, not today. Okay, come on, come on, come on. So he is the real friend. He's sending us all help. He's sending us the spiritual master, the scriptures, the devotees, everything. He's even sending us all help for material life if we want it. He doesn't say, if you don't surrender to me, well, then just forget you. He says, okay, here's your world, here's the sun, here's the moon, here's the vegetables, here's all facility. Krishna's describing this earlier in the third chapter. You want to pretend to enjoy the world? Okay, I will give you that facility. Also, what a good friend. So when one is working in that consciousness, then one is liberated. Then one is truly free. And one starts experiencing such great pleasure from within that there's no material miseries. So how do we do this? We meditate on this idea that Krishna is the controller, Krishna is the enjoyer, Krishna is the friend. He's doing everything, not me. We hear from the scriptures regularly. If you don't have time to read every day, you can have some CD or tape that you can play. We meditate on Krishna. And we can think, how many times a day do I really think about that actually everything's being done by Krishna? I'm not the doer. We can think like that. Before you go to bed tonight, you can think. Did I really meditate on that Krishna is the doer? Each day before you go to bed at night, how many times today, how much today was I doing everything for Krishna's pleasure? Was I doing things as Krishna's servant? Was I feeling that Krishna was my friend? This process of Krishna consciousness is not a mechanical, ritualistic religion. We're not very interested in that. If people take it up that way, that's all right. That's gradual thing. But that's not what we're doing. We're reestablishing our joyful, loving relationship with Krishna. So that's what we should be asking ourselves every day. That we come in here sometimes is very nice, but then we have to live that. And it's a very simple thing. Even you children can do it. Yes? Anybody can do it. There's no question of material qualification or disqualification. Even a little child like this can think, Krishna is my friend. It's not difficult. And as we meditate on that, then Krishna will become pleased. And then we'll realize him more and more as our friend. And then our whole lives will be transformed. We will no longer be within the material atmosphere, although we may apparently be. But we'll be just like some waxy leaf, like a lily leaf. 
or like an oiled body of a duck, it doesn't get wet. So we'll be within the material atmosphere, but we'll be unaffected. So I thought we'd take some time for questions, and we can discuss these verses, or if you have other things, and I hope I was speaking slowly enough for the translators, wherever they are. And if I wasn't, I'm sorry. I was trying. It's a little, I've never had the translation going on in another place. So I had, I had to keep thinking, oh yes, somebody's translating this. Usually they're right next to me. And then I can check if they're getting it wrong. Or So wherever you are. <laughs> where, yes, wherever you are, I hope it was okay. You just have to send me a telepathic message if you want me to explain something. So, any questions at all on anything? I think we have, how long do we have till what time? 20 so, 20 minutes. Yes? Before you answer this question, you like to hear how you come to this movement. How I come to this movement? Well, then I don't know if we'll have time for questions, so that's the problem. Well, especially if I tell the whole story, I'll try to make it brief. Are you interested in that? Yes. Maybe we should have another time for that. Yeah, the, see, but that, usually then I take like an hour if I want to do that. At least an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Very short. Okay, uh, very, very short. Which should I do? How I came or, or Prabhupada? Which one? Memories. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one, sto- one little story of Prabhupada a very short one and then I'll tell you a very shortened how I came and we can schedule another time is that alright? okay so I guess first I'll tell you how I came so when I was four I asked my mother so why are we practicing our religion and she said because it's my mother's religion and I said why is it her religion she said it because it was her mother's religion and I said that's not good I was four years old. I said, we should do what is right, not just because your mother did it, her mother did it. Then when I was, so at that time, as, as young as I can remember, if people asked me, what do you want to do with your life? I'd say, I want to find God. I, I don't remember having any interest in, in other things. When I was eight years old, I decided I believed in reincarnation. I was brought up in New York, and I didn't know... I mean, I saw some Indian people walking in New York as tourists, but I didn't know anyone from India. I didn't know anyone who believed in reincarnation. And I wrote a paper for my religious teachers all about reincarnation. They didn't like that very much. That was when I was eight. When I was nine, I told my mother I wanted to wear a sari. Again, I didn't know anybody from India. And she found some friend of a friend who'd been to India... And they bought some saffron silk cloth, and they like sewed it. They kind of sewed it. I mean, sorry, it's not sewn, but they kind of sewed me some. And I had a big map of India on my wall. And you know those little dolls they make for the tourists? You know, I had a bunch of them that I got. They were in my room. Then when I was... Prabhupada came to America when I was 10, my first contact was when I was 12. So my sister at that time was already married, and she lived on the Lower East Side, right by Prabhupada's first temple. And I would visit them at least a couple times a week. 
And Prabhupada had made this record called the Happening Album. I'm sure you've, many of you have heard the recording. You know those little boxes they sell that has Prabhupada chanting over and over and over and over and over again, one line? It always it bothers me because I like the whole kirtan and they just have the one line. I was like, do the next part of the kirtan. So that one section, that's from that Happening Album, if you hear the whole kirtan. So the gentleman who made that record had a shop called the Krishna Shop, and it was there on the Lower East Side. And when I would, I would go visit the shops when I'd visit my sister, and I used to go into his shop, and he would play this record, because he was trying to sell it, of course. So he would play it over and over, and I would just go and listen to Prabhupada chanting. And he had some posters from India of Krishna and Vishnu. I didn't buy anything there, but I'd go there maybe twice a week. And I would just listen to this record. And I didn't have the Sukriti at that time to meet Prabhupada. It was very unfortunate. My brother-in-law took me to meet rock and roll stars, but not Prabhupada. <laughs> so he met Prabhupada at that time. But I, I didn't get to go. And then a couple years later, when I was 14, I mentioned the other day that my I, I was listening to the radio and I heard the Govinda prayer that we played. You played that soon? Awesome. You had before that picture of Radhamandanishwara. Their photograph is on that record. So I heard it on the radio, and I became immediately interested. What is this? And on the radio, they say who's playing the song, but they didn't say. I had missed it. So I listened again, and that's a whole big story. But anyway, I finally bought the record, and I was listening to this record all the time. And inside the record album... There was some explanation of the philosophy, which I couldn't understand at all. Just, I read it and I'm just, what is this talking about? It didn't make any sense to me. But there were some pictures there, one, the same that were on the old covers of the Krishna book. One is of Radha Krishna and one is of Nathji. So I cut out the pictures and I put them on my wall. I didn't know anything. And I would chant, from listening to the record, I would chant. And then I was in school, and in the library, one of the other students was reading a Krishna book. So it had the same picture. And I didn't know this student. I knew his name. His name was Bill Trenbrook. And he was a friend of a friend. I mean, I didn't really know him. But I said, oh, I have this picture. Can, and can I read the book? And he said, sure. So I was just looking at the book in the study time. And I gave it back. He said, you like it? I said, oh, yes. He said, would you like to come with me to the temple? Sure, I'm an adventurous kind of person. Temple? I don't know. What a temple? I didn't make any connection between the Krishna shop and the record, and I didn't, I didn't put it together. Oh, sure, I'll go to a temple. I remember telling my parents, so I'm going to this Krishna temple. They said this what? But they were kind of liberal parents. So they didn't like it. <clears throat> All right. Who are you going with? Oh, some boy at school. You know him? No. <laughs> Some advantage to having permissive liberal parents, I suppose. Many disadvantages, but some advantages. So we went to the temple, and I met uh, Jadarani. She preached to me for about two hours. And afterwards, I thought, yes, this is what I believe in. I remember when we were leaving, I turned to this boy and I said, I accept everything they have said. I said, but I, don't, I can't explain it myself, but I know I accept it. So we came back the next week, and then I asked, uh, we talked to a different lady this time. And I said, what do I have to do to be a member? So again, I just didn't have the right Sukriti. 
So she didn't say to me, chant Hare Krishna, follow the regulative principles, nothing like that. She must have thought I was with this boy. You know, I was 14. You know, a girl who's 14, you can't always tell how old they are. I had boys a little easier, but girls a little... Maybe she thought I was 18 or 20, and this is my husband or my boyfriend. I don't know. She said, we have no room in the temple. You have to get your own flat. You have to get your own apartment. I was living at home with my parents. I'm going to school. I have to get my own apartment. So I thought, okay, I guess I, this Krishna consciousness is not for me, maybe. <laughs> so that was... I got one book. I got Easy Journey to Other Planets. And uh, then I didn't go back to the temple for a few years because I just thought, well, I, the only way to practice it is I have to get my own apartment. <laughs> so that was my thinking. And then during that time, I was doing some, my own concocted meditation. So I would regularly, I, was, I thought that spiritual perfection means that you become one with God. So I was trying to lose my identity and merge into God. And one day when I was doing my own meditation, I actually felt like that. I felt like I was losing myself, and I became very frightened. And I thought, oh, I don't want to lose myself. Then I thought, I guess I don't want spiritual life. I guess I'm a materialist. So at that time I was in university, and I thought, all right, let me be a materialist. So for two, three months I really tried to be a materialist. I made a good effort. And after about two or three months, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> And I started really praying. I had also, I should, uh, I, I, I was praying different prayers. I was praying, you know, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and I was also chanting Hare Krishna. I said, whoever you are, I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, please save me. So then my best friend, her boyfriend's roommate, had Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. And when I was with her, visiting her boyfriend, and we were, went to his room for something, I saw Prabhupada's Gita on the floor. And I said, oh, can I borrow this? So her boyfriend's roommate said, sure, I got it from some Hare Krishna people on the street, but I don't read it, you know. So I took this, this Gita, this same Bhagavad Gita, I took it to my room and I started reading. And I was just reading and reading and reading and I didn't go to sleep and I didn't eat and I didn't go to class and I was just reading and reading. I said, yes, this is what I want. I felt like somebody had taken things that were in my heart and put them on a paper. So then uh, then my university had a work program where you had to spend two months doing some work. So at that time, I was looking for the devotees. That's also a very long story. And I was working in a museum as a tour guide, and I was chanting. I would also chant Sri Upanishad because that was on the record. And as I was chanting, my consciousness began to clear a little bit, and I could see that everybody was foolish, including me. I would see the young people in the museum trying to enjoy, and I thought, they're, they're so foolish looking. And then I realized I'm not any better. And I was at a restaurant with a friend, and I thought, all these people, their conversation is foolish, and I could understand, I, my mind isn't any better. Then I met a devotee on the train, that's also a very long story, and who then, this devotee invited me to the temple, and I came to the temple, that again is a long story, I came, left, came, and finally I went to the temple president and I said I'd like to stay here, so I was at that time 17, and he said, well we wake up early in the morning, and I had always, my father had always woken up at 5 in the morning, and I used to spend time in the morning with my father. 
I said, well, I've always woken up early. That's not a problem. He said, we have these four principles. Can you follow them? I said, well, I'd like to follow them. He said, all right, we'll try. So I had been looking especially for two things. I had been looking for some way that I could be spiritual 24 hours. I didn't like these systems of religion where, you know, here's my job, here's my family, here's my hobby, here's my religion. I wanted to be spiritual even when I'm shopping, even when I'm, you know, combing my hair all the time. And also, at this time in university, you're thinking, what am I going to do with my life, right? So I'm going on the train to work every day, and I'm looking at all the people, 6 o'clock in the morning, and they all look like this. <laughs> Sorry, you translating people, you can't see and I thought, even if I find some very exciting career, after 10, 15 years, I'll also look like that. I thought, I want to do something where I'm going to be happy to wake up in the morning for my whole life. So those were the two things I was really looking for. So when I came to the temple, when I came to the temple, the next morning there was Mangalarti, right? And everybody was singing and dancing. I said, that's what I want. I want to wake up every morning and sing and dance. And then the philosophy was so wonderful. They were explaining how, just like we're talking about here in this chapter, how you could spiritualize everything. And Krishna explains very famous verse in the fourth chapter about how everything becomes Brahman. Everything becomes transcendental. The person offering the sacrifice, what is being sacrificed, everything as Prabhupada says, merges into transcendence. But yes, that is what I want. I want 100%, no more material life. So then I went back home at the end of that time because I wasn't of legal age, I was only 17. And I wanted to finish the year of university and at the, uh, that's also a long story, what I did during that next few months in university. I visited a temple one time anyway. I don't have time to tell the whole thing. I can say when I went back to university, I was wearing a sari, but it wasn't a real sari. <laughs> I had just a piece of cloth, and I looked very funny, actually. <laughs> All right, Krishna. And at the end of that semester, I went home, and I'd been telling everyone, now I'm going to go move into the ashram. But when I went home, all my old friends said, oh, you sure you want to go? Maybe you want to go traveling. Maybe you want to do this. And my mother was especially, oh, you're going to leave. Oh. <laughs> Nobody had heard about Hare Krishna at that time. I mean, it was completely unknown. So my mother was especially hysterical. You know, what are you doing? My father was very supportive. He said, I'm very glad you're looking for God. He said, when I was 18, I was also looking for God. He said, then I got distracted by business and family. He said, I would prefer you do it in our own religion, but that's not important. So he was very supportive. My mother was hysterical. So I became, I, I became a little hesitant. Well, maybe I'll wait. And then it was, I remember I came home on a Thursday. So on the Saturday, in the mail, I got an invitation, because I had stayed at the temple in Chicago. We were in New York. I got an invitation that the next day at 3 o'clock, Kishore Kishore would be installed. And as I'm sitting there reading this invitation, I had this feeling, 
you better come now or you, it'll be too late. I had this strong feeling. Come now. Don't put it off. I said, I'm going tomorrow. So my father said, all right, I'll give you a round-trip ticket so if you want to come home. So I kept that for a while, and then I, I exchanged it and bought a sleeping bag with it. So that was how I came. And then the next day I was out on the street, Sankirtan, and the next day I was at the airport distributing books. But it was hard, I'll tell you. The first two weeks were very hard because I came there uh, thinking, oh, I'm so spiritual. And the, everyone else saw me, oh, this is some brand new neophyte that has to be put in her place. <laughs> they were very heavy. They were very heavy. We were going out to distribute books. I said, yes, I love Krishna. And the other devotee said, you don't love Krishna. What are you talking about? It was very hard. And then all these rules, you know, everything was kind of like joining the military or something. You know, all of a sudden, all these rules and somebody watching you all the time and a minute-to-minute schedule. So most of you have not had this experience. You've not lived in an ashram like that. It's quite an experience. Especially my family was very, very wealthy. They were multi-multi-millionaires. And I was the youngest child. My sisters were actually grown up when I was born. And I was the pet child of my parents. So I was used to a lot of freedom. And they were very liberal parents. And now I was in the ashram, and it's like, okay, it's 9 o'clock, what are you doing? Okay, it's 9.15, what are you supposed to be polishing the silver? All right, now you have to make the garlands. Okay, it's 9.30, now what are you doing? And I remember I, I went in the toilet room to wash my hands. They said, now you have to take a bath and change your clothes. I said, what? Huh? Now you can't make the garlands for the deities. You're dirty. I'm like, why am I dirty? So it was very hard. And I was thinking, what did I do? Why did I come here? But I had already let, dropped out of university and told all my friends I was coming. So for my false ego, I thought maybe I'll stay a little while. And then within those two weeks, so I was out distributing books at the airport every day. And even though I was just a very beginner, I'm still a beginner, even though I was just a beginner, I could defeat anybody philosophically. I was really amazed. As a very beginner. And that gave me a lot of faith. I thought this philosophy is so nice that nobody can present anything that is superior to it. And then, as I remember at the end of two weeks looking at the deities, and they very kindly showed me a little, a little, how beautiful they are. And then I thought, okay, I think I will stay. So I'm still here somehow. I tell you a short prompt. I'll tell you a very short one. So when I got second initiation, when I got Gayatri Mantra, that was in 1975. This is just a little piece of the story. It's a very long story. But when uh, we got the Jagya in the morning, we got to enter Prabhupada's room in the evening to get Gayatri Mantra. And, uh, and that morning, my father also met with Prabhupada. My father had gone on a morning walk that morning with Shiva Prabhupada. I didn't get to go, but my father went. And he came back and he said that it was the best time of his whole life. Then we were in Prabhupada's room, and my husband and my uh, oldest son, who was just uh, 
few months old, and my father and myself. And my father brought Prabhupada a big basket of fruit. You know those gift baskets? They're wrapped up with colored cellophane. And Prabhupada's eyes got big. He said, oh, so many fruits. And my father said, yes, just fruits. Because usually they put candies in it and stuff. So he said, only fruits. <laughs> Prabhupada was, uh, he was sitting behind his desk and he was, he was leaning back on his pillows, very relaxed, very casual, very jovial. Most of the time we saw Prabhupada, it was like that. And he said, yes, I've seen you before. How are you doing now? And my father said, is it possible that one gets reborn in the same body? My father was thinking about spiritual birth. And Prabhupada said, yes, he said, we are getting reborn in the same body over and over again. He was talking, Dei nos minyata dehe, as we were reading this morning. He said, just like you were a young man, he said, you were like your grandson here. And now we're becoming old, and soon when this body is not useful, we'll go to another body. And then we gave Prabhupada some dakshin and we asked some questions. And then the part that I really remember, that this is one of the things that I hold on to, is as we were leaving, we offered obeisances, and Prabhupada said, good father, good daughter. So that's, that's one of my... But later I'll tell you the chastisement stories, if we have some time. <laughs> not today. So now we don't have much time at all. But that's your fault. You wanted to hear that. <laughs> now, if we can have some, and that's a shortened version. If I want to give a two-minute version, then I say I read Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita and I liked it, and I moved in the temple. And I still cut out some of the. I'm not sure if I've joined yet. Actually, I'm still trying to be a devotee. My body's here, you know. But maybe that's just like a tree. It's kind of hung around for a long time. So, Actually, the longer you stay, the more you see yourself as a beginner. It's quite interesting. The more you, the more you see that you haven't quite, quite, uh, quite done it yet. Without that, you cannot be happy. If we think, oh, yes, I'm a great devotee, you cannot be happy. You'll always be unhappy. <laughs> so, questions on anything, anything you like. Yes, sir. You're asking me what is Krishna's motive? You have to ask Krishna what is his motive. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, we know from the Shastra that uh, Krishna is claiming that all living entities are his. All living entities are his. And especially his mood is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You see, Krishna is more... Krishna Chaitanya, they're the same person. But... Krishna, his original mood is more neutral. He's not, he's not going, he's always giving us good advice from within, but he's not going to interfere. Like we said, with Arjuna, he says, you do what you like. There was a, a very famous study many years ago by a researcher named Kohlberg into 
how do people develop a sense of morality, of right and wrong? So in those days, he did his research only with male college students. And he decided that we come to a sense of morality because we have a sense of fairness or justice. Even little children have a sense of what's fair, correct? So as our sense of fairness developed, from that comes our sense of morality. So later on, there was another researcher, a lady, I can't remember her name, starts with a G, and she said, this research was only done with men. I wonder what would happen if we did it with women. So when she did the research with women, she concluded that women reach moral sense through a concept of mercy. Men through justice, women through mercy. So that applies even on the ultimate transcendental realm. Krishna has a quality, he has unlimited qualities, but he has a quality of compassion. And this quality of compassion also exists as a personality. And that personality is? Who is the personality of Krishna's compassion? Radharani, yes. Radharani is, is Krishna's compassion. So when Krishna takes on the mood of Radharani as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then he's overflowing with compassion. He's no longer in this mood of neutrality. As Krishna, he says, Sarva Dharman Purichaja, first you have to surrender to me, then we'll talk. That's ordinarily, we're like that, isn't it? We don't reveal our heart to somebody who's envious of us. And Krishna says, Arjuna, don't teach this to people who are envious. But if someone's very compassionate, uh, just like this, this feminine quality of compassionate, it's related to being very soft-hearted. Now, in the ordinary sense, if you're soft-hearted, that means you're not so logical. Isn't it? That's why it says women are less intelligent. Because mercy isn't. Does mercy have to do with logic? Please tell me. Is mercy logical? No. no. Fairness is logical, right? Fairness, you the scales are even. Justice, but mercy is not logical. All right, this person is terrible, but still we forgive them. It's a natural. In material, it may not be, in material world, it may not be such a nice thing all the time. Materially, it may be sentimentalism. But with Radharani, it's perfect. So when, when Krishna takes his mood of Radharani as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's no longer working on the platform of logic. He's no longer working on the platform of karma or the platform of surrender. He wants to give to everyone. Pious, impious, doesn't matter. To everyone. So everyone means everyone. There's no measurement anymore. So therefore, as part of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement, it must include the whole world. Now, why specifically at that time? Why specifically Srila Prabhupada? I don't pretend to understand the details of the divine plan. 
that you'll have to. That's one time when devotee wrote Prabhupada a letter asking a question, and Prabhupada said, I think when you go to Goloka Vrindavan, then you'll know. <laughs> so, you know, why does Krishna do things at a certain time in a certain way? That's his business. Yes. Yes, there was a time. Yes, there was a time, of course, the whole world was invading culture. So that's another answer for you. Well, not Krishna's image, no. But I had some idea I wanted to find God. I didn't know who God was. Uh, yes, so that means I'm a bigger fool. That in my previous birth I didn't go back to Godhead, so I'm a big fool. Instead I took birth in the West. So don't make that mistake. I'm serious, I'm not joking. Be serious. Be serious. Obviously I had some attachment to India. Obviously. And since then I've seen some things. But be careful. Be careful. If you were thinking, oh, we want to be Western, so you may be. Then instead of going and dancing with Krishna, then you may become like this. Be careful. It's not so much fun. It's not that just because I have a white body and blue eyes that I'm enjoying more than you. Not like that. Yes. Yes. Most of us always think that we are the doer and forget that the Lord actually is the doer. Yes. Why does it happen in the majority of cases, even though the reality is? Do you really want to know the answer? You will not like the answer. I'm warning you in advance you will not like the answer. Because we want that. Sorry. So we, we want to think that we're the doer. We want to forget Krishna. If you want to remember Krishna, it will be very easy. So I was saying also this morning, our whole process is meant to increase that desire. Increase the desire, increase the desire, increase the desire. The more you want to see that Krishna is the doer, the more you will see. Is that okay? Thank you. It's a very good question. Something else? Yes. Yes. Yes, though maybe not as human beings and maybe not on this planet, but okay. But we don't know what we were in such a yuga. Maybe in such maybe when this planet was in such a yuga, maybe you were on the higher planet. Or maybe, you know, we were a cat or something. Kali Yuga is an opportunity. There's two opportunities in Kali Yuga. One opportunity is for people who wouldn't normally deserve to have human bodies to get human bodies. Because you have to give facility for every, every soul to get a human body. The human body is the graduating place from the cycle of karma and reincarnation, human body and above 
If you stay in the animal species, you can't get out, generally. I mean, unless you become Shiva Nanda Sen's dog or something. So what are you going to do for jivas who are so sinful that they don't deserve a human body? So they have to take a human body in an atmosphere that's very sinful. So the Kali Yuga is designed for that. And the other facility of the Kali Yuga is, especially when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes, which is only once in every 1,000 Kali Yugas, then there's a very easy path back to Godhead. So Prabhupada explains that even the demigods, even the higher devas, take birth as human beings in Kali Yuga to join Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Saikirtan movement. So it could be that you were a deva and that you wanted to perfect your Krishna consciousness and you said, okay, let me take birth in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Saikirtan movement. That is not at all impossible. That is, it, it's quite likely, in fact. It's, it's, not, it's not out of the question. But those are the two main reasons that one wants to take advantage of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sankirtan movement, or that one is just, you know, really sinful, but at least there's a chance. Even the sinful people get to be human beings for a while. You don't want the sinful people being human beings in such a yuga. That would create a disturbance. So, do we? One more. Yes? How do you get rid of attachment? Oh, no, don't get rid of attachment. No, no, we don't want to get rid of attachment. You want to change the object of your attachment. Okay. How do we get attached to anything? Anybody know it's in the second chapter? Anybody know? What does Krishna say? How do we become attached? He says, by... End of the second chapter... We usually call it the fall-down sequence. It's two verses. By contemplating, okay? you contemplate something, you think about something, you get attached from attachment, lust, lust, anger, bewilderment. Well, that works in spiritual life too. Whatever we think about, we'll become attached to. Whatever we put our mind and our heart, we'll develop some attachment to that. We were talking earlier that really everything in one sense is Krishna. Whenever we become attached to anything, the reason we're attached to that thing is it's connected with Krishna, actually. Krishna is the taste in that thing. The reason one becomes attached to one's home or one's car or one's family or one's whatever is because Krishna is there. So what to speak of if you contemplate the source? If you contemplate, if you think about some ordinary thing or some part of Krishna, you become attached to that thing because Krishna is there. Just imagine how you, there's some attractive potency. Krishna means all attractive. Because each of us living being is a part of Krishna, a little part of Krishna. We also have some attractive power. Even matter is also part of Krishna. Bhumarapanalobayu. So therefore, even matter has some attractive quality to it. But that attractive quality is Krishna. And just that little bit of attractive quality, if we think about it, we become attached. But unfortunately, when we become attached that way, we suffer. Just like if I put the carrot in my eye, I become blind. Exactly like that. So if I can become attached to something, I can become attached... You know, to my, I like, I really like this bag. Actually, I do, I really like this bag. I can become attached to this bag. 
I want to speak if I can become attached to my child, become attached to my home. Just imagine if you contemplate the source. If a little part of Krishna has such attractive power, how much attractive power is there in the source? These little light bulbs have such illuminating power, but where are they getting their power from? Electricity is coming from what? Oil? Which is come we discussed before. What is oil? It's sunlight. It's plants which got their power from photosynthesis from the sun. Or even if you want to say it's hydroelectric power, the sun is evaporating the water, right? And therefore it's running, that's also from the sun. So these lights are having their power from the sun. This has some illumination, but if you go to the source, how much more illumination is in the source? If you therefore contemplate Krishna, how attractive will, you, will he be? How much will you be attracted? Prahlad Maharaj said, I'm like iron with a magnet. I cannot stop. His father said, stop being attached to Krishna. He said, I can't stop. So our process is contemplate Krishna, contemplate Krishna, contemplate Krishna, contemplate Krishna, contemplate Krishna. Then all your other attachments will be put in proper perspective. Then it's not that when you become attached to Krishna, you're just dead. You don't care about anything. You care about, you're caring about everything is, is proper. It's in the proper place. Krishna is at the center. Like Prabhupada told me, that if you love Krishna, that will help you to love your son. Once you're attached to Krishna, then you will have proper attachment to everyone. Krishna also says the devotee is Surdham Sarvadehinam. Even the devotee is the good friend of everyone. And the devotee has proper even utilization of matter. The devotee has respect for the earth, for the water, for the air. Isn't it? Because they're seeing that as part of Krishna. So contemplate Krishna. How do you do that? How do we do that? How do we contemplate Krishna? Very practical. What do we do? Chant. Not mechanically. Like a little child crying for the mother. Hare Krishna. As if, as if in the next ten minutes would be your last breath. You chant like that. Not just as a ritual. As a ritual, that may take you 700 lifetimes. That's what Prabhupada said. With heart. You chant with heart. Really hearing the name. And you hear these descriptions of Krishna. Read the Krishna book. Read the Bhagavatam. Read Chaitanya Charitamrita. If you don't have any time to read, hear on a CD. If you don't like to read, hear on a tape. Hear, hear, hear about Krishna, hear about Krishna, hear about Krishna, chant about Krishna. Do some service for Krishna. Yes, I'm getting this flower for Krishna. I'm cooking this food for Krishna. Think about Krishna as you're doing it. You can think about him in so many ways. Keep pulling your mind back, back. It will, it will wander, that's all right. Krishna says, wherever the mind wanders due to its flickering and unsteady nature, one must always withdraw it. Again, bring it back, bring it back. Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. As you contemplate Krishna, he is so attractive. 
You will be attached to him. You will be attached to him. And then the other attachments will naturally be taken care of. If you try to just stop them, you'll be trying to stop them forever. They'll try to stop one, another one will come. Stop one, another one, then there's a deeper layer. You find this, right? You deal with some attachment and you find that attachment is still there, a deeper layer, more subtle, more subtle, more subtle, more subtle. And we're trying to get rid of it ourselves and finally we go, Krishna, help! And then Krishna is just like the the sunshine is like a great fire that just burns to ashes all of the attention. Alright? Can you do that? Try no. Will you do it or not? Okay. Krishna will help you. He's very attracted to you, you know. He loves you. And he's thinking, when will this dear soul come back and dance with me and play with me? I'm just waiting. He's so anxious. He's so anxious. So he will give you all help. So each day you should think, every day please you should think, how much was I thinking about Krishna today? How much was I attached to Krishna? Ordinary person thinks, you know, what jobs did I get done today? How clean is my house today? How much money did I make today? That's all right. But also you have have on your list. They say in management, people only do what is measured. You know that? So make it something that you measure. How much did I think about Krishna today? How much was I getting attached to Krishna today? How much did I chant with love? How much did I hear about Krishna today? How much was I really connecting with God? Anybody can say, God, God, yes. But how much did it become real for me? So measure every day, please, measure this. And then you will find it will increase more and more. Is that all right? Is that all right with everybody? Can we do that? Is that difficult? Yes. Yes, it is difficult. All right. On that note... I think we should end. <laughs> and we will now take Prasadam. All right, Krishna, all the way to Srila Prabhupada.